This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Yes, for some, it's been a difficult week. Thank you, Susan, for doing such a great job, Braden and Jenny. Mike Brooks is not able to be with us. His fan, He has a little bit of COVID going on. We thought we were done with that, weren't, didn't we? We kind of thought, oh, it's over. But it seems to have its tentacles still meandering around, so you might want to still be careful a bit. You know, it was a worldwide situation, and now we're still feeling the ramifications of it. The last time we had a large worldwide calamity was 80 years ago, during World War II. It was aptly called a world war because it seemed like every corner of the world was involved in it. On one side, you had the forces of tyranny and despotism. On the other side, you had the forces of freedom and liberty. And for nearly six years, it seemed like victory was up for grabs. One nation that felt it very specifically was the nation of England, the United Kingdom, as it was continuously under Nazi barrage. Not just military targets, but London itself, the streets, the the urban areas, the suburban areas were being bombed relentlessly by the German pilots. You and I cannot even imagine today, unless you lived through it, what, was, what that was like. You're out on the market one minute, and just a few minutes later, the market is gone. People lost family members and friends, lost their own lives. Children had to be sent to the country where it was relatively safe. Families were split apart. It's a very difficult time. And during that difficult time, one man made it his responsibility to hold that nation together. Prime Minister Winston Churchill inherited a difficult situation. As England was be be was being destroyed nearly. And there was a question whether it would actually survive. But Prime Minister Churchill and his leadership kept that nation focused. In one of his many speeches, his great speeches, he said this to the people of the United Kingdom. He said, victory at all costs is what we should be aiming for. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. Now put yourself in the place of a Londoner, a working class person with a family, and your job has been destroyed, your house is under attack, your apartment house is gone, your children are far away from you in the country, and you've got to wonder, well, where is this victory? All you would be seeing is death, destruction, sorrow. You didn't know within a few days would you be an... But Winston Churchill continued to preach and teach victory, push ahead for victory. He would put up the V sign. Many people call this the peace sign. For them, it was the victory sign. And of course, through allied efforts... Victory was ultimately achieved. 
May 8th was VE Day, Victory in Europe. And there were celebrations all over the world. And the United Kingdom and other nations were saved and liberated. You know, as we go through our lives, and we as believers, we talk about the victorious Christian life. And we hear people say that we've got to get victory over this and we've got to get victory over that. And we talk about one day there'll be victory. But it's hard to see sometimes, isn't it? I don't know how your week has been. We've had some challenges in my family. Other families have had challenges. Fortunately, ours was temporary and we're moving forward. But there are some that are going through ongoing difficulty. And it sounds, some, sounds like sometimes those calls of victory, or the talking about victory seems rather empty. Because you don't see it, you don't experience it. Much like these speeches may have sounded to the average citizen of the UK. We've got to push for victory. We've got to go for victory. Well, for them, that was the only encouragement they had. Well, the reality for the Christian is this. We have actually won the victory, or Christ has won it for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, as it were, toward the end of the chapter, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation has been won. Practically speaking, the devil has been defeated. Sin has been paid for. If you know Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells you in 1 John and different parts of the book of Revelation earlier, the book of Romans, that you have conquered through faith. Romans 8 does tell us we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Here it says Christ has won for us the victory. But I ask you to be honest. Does it feel like that most days? Does it seem like that? If you are honest with me, you would say, maybe no. Life is difficult. Life on this planet is harsh. Stuff happens, even to the saved. So where is that victory and when is it coming? Well, again, positionally speaking, practically speaking, if you know Christ, you have the victory. He has won that through his death on the cross, his burial, and his subsequent rising from the dead. He has won the victory. The day is won. Now, experientially... We don't perceive that, do we? No. Experientially, every day sometimes is a struggle. But we do have the promise that ultimately we will enjoy and appreciate that victory, that spiritual satisfaction. As a matter of fact, that desire for victory was programmed into humanity when God created Adam and Eve and us following. Evolution would never explain why people want victory, why, why people want to win the day. Evolution cannot explain the desire to, to, to move to better and to be better. 
It's more than a physical thing. We are longing for victory, something better. We desire something perfect. According to Ecclesiastes 3, God has put eternity into our hearts. And therefore we seek that, we long for that. Now as we've moved through the book of Revelation, as we've begun to share the rest of the story that God gives us about human, humanity and human existence, we've looked at many things, some very exciting, some very dramatic and difficult to look at. Because as we said last week, in order to understand the book of Revelation specifically and the Word of God generally, you and I need to have a right understanding of the true nature of God. And God has many aspects and characteristics, but two of them that rise to the forefront are the characteristics of love and justice. Yes, God is love. It says as much in 1 John chapter 4. But throughout the Old and New Testament, it says also that God is just. And as such, he must judge sin. And throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, Christ himself in Matthew 24 lays out the program very, very explicitly that one day judgment will come. That God will one day judge those who have rejected him, both Jew and Gentile. And while we should never take joy when an individual turns from God and is separated from God, we should never be excited about that. We should never be glad for that. But there is a amount of satisfaction and restitution that comes with knowing that one day God will make everything that is wrong right. God will make everything that is wrong right. Now, in the last few weeks, we've seen the grand cosmic battle. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, God has given us a, a panoramic view over the cosmic battle from before creation to yet in the future. We've seen, as, again, as review, we've seen Israel. We've seen Christ rise from Israel. We've seen the grand attack upon the church of Jesus Christ and upon our, our friends who are Jewish. We see that during the tribulation period that is yet to come, that Jews and the saints of God that will still be alive then will come under horrendous attack from a despot and a dictator. We've seen the grand dragon, Satan himself, wreak havoc in the world. He does now, but he will even worse. We got to see the resistance that God raises up. And we saw the rallying angels. And the reaping angels as God one day will thrust his sickle of judgment into humanity. And judgment will occur. We saw that grand, large picture. God gives us the overview. Now in chapter 15, we're coming to the end. God is going to go back down and we're going to get on the ground and look at specifics. And in chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18, we are now coming to the end of this tribulation period. You can call today's message prelude to the end. And in chapter 15, we are now back up in heaven in the presence of God and his angel, angels. 
And in this passage this morning, we're going to see the satisfaction and resolution of the saints that suffered and will suffer, suffered since Christ and will suffer during the tribulation period. We'll see the satisfaction and the resolution that will come when God makes all that is wrong right. And he will. Again, it's amazing to me how skeptics will say, if there is a God and he's so good, why doesn't he make everything good and perfect? Well, he will. And then when you preach that, they think, oh, that's harsh. Listen, you can't have it both ways. You want God to do something, and when God plans to do something, you don't like it. But the reality is God has created a plan and a timetable for his purposes. I don't claim to understand them completely. That's why as I preach through the book of Revelation, you're not going to get all these titillating little tidbits that you often get from prophecy sites and from some teachers. We have tried to understand the book of Revelation honestly and scripturally. So if you have your Bible, go with me to the chapter. Uh, we're starting in chapter 15. Because as we come now out of this grand view of the cosmic battle, we're getting now to the last moments of the tribulation period. As God is getting ready to send his final seven judgments onto the earth. And it seemed like for each one of those waves of judgments, when God opened the seals earlier in the book, there was a prelude. When God, when God began the trumpets that brought judgment, there was a prelude. And now in heaven, he's getting ready to un, un, unfold another plan, seven bowls, or if you have an old King James, it says vials, but it's better translated bowls. Bowls from which will be poured out the very wrath of God in the last moments of this difficult period that is known as the tribulation period. And in this passage, we're going to be again transported to heaven. The first thing we see is the scene of satisfaction. There's, this is finally the last prelude to the last judgment. And first we see a vision of seven angels. Look what it says. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then I saw John relating something he physically saw, another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. The words great and marvelous literally mean of tremendous import. A magnificence concerning the scope, not necessarily the quality, but the quality certainly is part of it. He saw, I saw a sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So in these last seven vials or bowls or wrath, complete his judgment on a world that has rejected him. And it's interesting, the word complete there in the Greek is the similar word used in John chapter 19, 30, when Jesus dying on the cross, when he, when he paid the debt for our sin, he said, it is finished. Paid in full. The debt is finalized. The bill is paid. This is a similar word in the Greek, literally means paid in full. The debt is finished. The bill is paid. Again, God is a God of love. He is all love. Hence, John 19, when Christ gave himself sacrificially for our sins. And his death paid the sin of humanity, past, present, and future. His death on the cross paid for the sins of those who would go through the tribulation period. 
It is finished. The debt has been paid. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't experience that in my actual more often than not. My bills keep coming. How about yours? Isn't it wonderful when you do get something paid off? You want to go out and celebrate. He paid our sin debt. The love of God sacrificed himself to pay that debt. But again, don't forget the other aspect of God's character, the justice of God. There's a debt of judgment that was necessary to be paid. And so God in his justice has now finished the payment, the last payment on this debt to satisfy this situation. Justice is going to be finalized. The wrath of God will be complete. He goes on to say, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. I tell you, I've read a lot of commentaries and everybody tries to make something spiritual out of this. They say, oh, this is this and that is that. You know what I think this is talking about? Uh, I think it's talking about a sea of glass mingled with fire. I don't see where the Bible makes any commentary or anything specific about that. And that's something with the book of Revelation. Yes, there is metaphor in the book of Revelation. But the interesting thing, the book of Revelation usually comments on its own metaphor. Here we're just seeing what John is physically seeing. Describing it to the best of his ability. A sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory, here's that word, victory, over the beast. Who is the beast? Chapter 13. We call him the Antichrist, but that name is only used generally of him once in 1 John. The beast is a reference to that yet future despot empowered by Satan who will rule over the world and make Hitler look like a, look like a cleaning lady. These had victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass. These are the saints of the tribulation who would not succumb to the, the tyranny of the Antichrist that we covered in chapter 13. These are the men and women of God who died rather than, rather than take his mark. These are the people who did not sell out, who did not give up. You know, this wasn't anything new. This won't be anything new because for the last 2,000 years there have been men and women who refused to bow to the tyranny of Satan, who refused to sell out their souls to a material world. And yes, even today, men and women in this world are dying for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, go to Voice of Martyrs. You can look it up, you can Google it. Voice of Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs. You will get stories that will both fascinate and frighten you at the same time of what is happening to your brothers and sisters today and it will only be compounded and magnified in the tribulation period and what that says to me is that one day there will be satisfaction and victory God sees what we struggle through we saw in our Sunday school class this morning and as Aaron mentioned during the reflection time we are to do things privately secretly because Matthew tells us and Jesus said in Matthew what God, what we do secretly, God sees what we do secretly. And one day we will be rewarded openly. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows it. We should not be blowing our own horn. By the way, that phrase comes from Matthew 6. 
And while there are no accolades and sometimes we're even spat upon and criticized for standing up for the truth, there's coming a day of victory and satisfaction. And this is it. They had victory over the mark, over the beast, having harps of God. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I'm glad there's going to be singing in heaven. Amen? And it's going to be great. It's going to be loud. It's going to be amazing. We did a series on heaven some years ago, and we talked about all the amazing sights and sounds that's going on there. It's going to be phenomenal. So we see these seven angels preparing to bring these judgments. And then we hear the victory songs. And notice a combination of two songs, the song of Moses. You go back to Exodus when the children of Israel crossed through the parted Red Sea. And when the Egyptian army came to chase after them, God brought the waters down and destroyed the Egyptian army. And Moses and Exodus began to sing a praise chorus to God. A song of deliverance. And of course, what is the song of the lamb? What is the lamb? The lamb is the sacrifice for our sins. He was buried and rose again from the dead. Why? So that he might what? Deliver us from the flood of sin in this world. These songs are songs of deliverance. We don't have the specific songs, but we do have some lines from what they sang. Notice in verse uh, uh, 3 as it continues, they sang the song of the Lamb, the song of Moses, two songs. It says, great and marvelous are your works, God. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Notice as they sing these songs, these are songs of victory, singing of God's works. Of God's works of redemption and yes, of God's works of judgment. They were singing about that, songs of victory, how God has worked through the ages to not only provide redemption, but sustain that redemption. They sang of God's ways. It goes on to say, just and true are your ways. Just and true, fair and right are your ways. There are people who don't like some of the things God does in Scripture. There's a whole movement to reject the Old Testament because those who hold that idea believe that it is too harsh and that God is too mean and it's too much about law and punishment. Well, they actually haven't really read the Old Testament then because, yes, there is law, there is punishment, there is harshness, but there's also grace and mercy and love. Each time, over and over and over, innumerable times, God reaches his hand of love and grace to the children of Israel and pleads to them to come back. So God's ways are just and right. And again, you will not understand it until you understand the nature of God. Yes, he is love. We like that part. But he's also just. We often struggle with that part, don't we? But if we don't embrace both of those aspects, they're not mutually exclusive. They work as one. We said last week the bloody cross of Calvary was the actual physical rep representation of God's love and justice. The love of God on display as the body of Christ hung on that cross for your sin and mine. But the justice of it was the blood, the nails, and the agony. Because he died. Jesus was judged for our sin. 
So marvelous are your works, true and just are your ways, O King of the saints. Then it speaks of the worship of God. Look at verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, set apart, worthy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. They sang of his works. They sang of his ways. The victory song is of his worship. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, One day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The purpose of that judgment is to bring the earth to the place where it needs to be. And yes, to deal with those who have turned their backs upon God, spat upon God, and rejected him. There should be no glee in that. There should be no happiness in that. But there should be satisfaction. There should be satisfaction in that all that has been done wrong to you will one day be judged. But there also needs to be some caution. Because you need to be making sure that you are not doing wrong and standing in the need of judgment. See, we Christians, we get rather self-righteous. Yeah, God, go get that world. Yeah, God, go judge that world. Well, here's the thing. And let me just say this to you as clearly as I can. You ain't any better than anybody else. Because here's the other thing. When one day God does judge, we will be part of that judgment in heaven. We've already talked about the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to me very carefully, church. One day you and I will stand before him and face judgment. One day God will look at our lives, our motives, our hearts, our actions, and we will endure judgment. Now that judgment will never send us to hell. Hell has, hell has been defeated. Heaven has been won for us. But the Bible, as we see later in Revelation, says, there for a while in heaven there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes, there will be tears in heaven. For all the areas that we have failed, we will be judged. So be careful as we read this passage not to take glee and cheer God on as he tears up this rotten world. <laughs> Don't you be that self-righteous, hypocritical person. And again, judgment is not to get giddy about. Yes, there's satisfaction in judgment. God will take all that is wrong and make it right. You and I just need to make sure we're not doing wrong that needs to be judged. So they're singing the songs, singing of God's works, His ways, and His worship. This is Dr. Warren Wearsby, the late Bible scholar, said this of this scene in, in Revelation 15. He said, this entire scene is reminiscent of Israel following the Exodus. The nation had been delivered from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Literally, the last plague, the angel of death, as they put the lamb that was sacrificed, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, representing the Christ who would one day spread out his arms and die for us, shedding his blood. The nation had been delivered from Egypt by the blood of the lamb, and the Egyptian army had been destroyed at the Red Sea. In thankfulness to God, the Israelites stood by the sea and sang the song of Moses. 
There will be one day judgment, but there's deliverance and there's celebration of that deliverance. There's celebration of that satisfaction. And that's what this is about. One day God will judge the earth. And as we get into the latter part of Revelation, we see that latter judgment. Now understand this about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is very Jewish in character. The church does not figure in Revelation. You see the churches in chapters 2 and 3, yes. But as we move into chapters 4 and following, the church is no longer mentioned. Why? Because it is believed that the church has been taken to heaven to be with the Lord. During the Revelation, the Jewish nation will be yet again a focus. As those 144,000 witnesses, as we saw in Revelation 7, they are of different tribes, the 12 different tribes of Israel. And through their word, through their testimony, Jews and Gentiles will become saved. There will be grace in heaven. We saw last week even the word gospel was mentioned, the good news of the eternal kingdom of God. That message will be preached. And so as we see this judgment coming, what's the source of this restitution, this resolution? Notice what he says in verse 5. After these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, a lot of T's, in heaven was opened. We preached on the temple some uh, months back. And the interesting thing about the temple that was in Jerusalem was that it was a physical image of God's ultimate temple in glory. For the Jews, the temple in Jerusalem was the seat of worship. It is where God would meet with the priests in a local area as the priests offered the sacrifice of the lamb. Where the testimony of the Lord would come from. And in this last period of judgment, the holy temple, the truth, the word of God, the law of God will be the standard of this judgment. Again, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So we see the heavenly temple there. And we also see the hosts preparing for this. Who are the hosts? Well, the angelic beings. Verse 6, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels. Who are the four living creatures? We'll go back to chapters 4 and 5. These were another class of angelic beings, very interesting looking beings as well. You can read also about them in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 9. These beasts that had four different faces and many eyes and wings, they were real weird looking. I've seen artists try to capture them and they can't do it. I couldn't do it. My imagination has a hard time capturing that. But notice the angelic beings and notice these four living creatures. They gave the seven angels these seven golden bowls. Again, if you have the old King James, it's vials, but bowls is a better translation. And notice what these bowls are full of, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Have you noticed the theme in the book of Revelation? God's angels carrying out God's judgment. Last week we saw six Seems like every time John turned around, there was another angelic being bringing announcement, bringing encouragement, and yes, bringing judgment. The Bible throughout its Old and New Testaments refers to these people, these angels, as the host. And the word host in the Hebrew especially is a military term referring to an army. 
the armies of God. Jesus even said, when Pilate said, listen, I have the power to free you or to, or to condemn you. And Jesus said, no, nope, you have no power over me. God could send angels to deliver me. God is sending his heavenly army out, the host of heaven. They are preparing for this final and last judgment. So we see we're in the heavenly temple. We see the hosts are prepared. And then we're going to see an intensity in this judgment that has, is going to rival the former. Verse 8. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. Wednesday night, we had a wonderful night of worship. I hope you got to come. Our music team did an amazing job. And we shared with you from Second Chronicles how that when Solomon finished building the temple and the priests and the singers and the trumpetists came in and they, they had a music grand musical celebration. And as they took the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies of the temple, God's presence filled the place and it was represented by smoke. So full was the temple of God's presence that the priests had to put down their ministrations and just stand back. Just stand back because God was there. Because this was God's house. This was God's place. Here's the thing about the judgment that's coming. God is not going to judge the earth by the standards of this church or any other church. God is not going to judge the earth by the standards of any political party. God is not going to do it your way and he's not going to do it my way. God is going to judge the earth from his law, the word of God. He's going to judge the earth from his standard, from his character, from his persona, and from his heavenly temple. And the fact that the smoke has filled the glory of God has come. The temple was filled with the smoke and from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The judgment on the earth is going to be a God thing by God's standards for God's glory. And it's not going to be a get-evenism it's not God reacting to anything because here's the truth, God doesn't react. See, God is not like us. God's emotions aren't in turmoil and he doesn't respond and react. Nothing occurs to God. But again, God has offered love and forgiveness, grace and mercy. But God is also offering judgment and tribulation. Because sin must be judged. God offered the cure of sin by Christ on the cross, but some have rejected it. Even Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to salvation. Because of human pride, we never want to say, yes, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. Most people say, I'm not a sinner, I'm okay, I don't need anything. God won't hurt me. I don't want to worship a God that would bring judgment. Then you don't know the God of Scripture. He must judge sin. Why? Because he's perfect. He's holy, set apart. Jesus went on to say, broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And it's a well-trodden path. Again, it's, it's not something to get giddy and excited about and ooh, get him, God. Just get him, God. It's not us against anybody. 
It's God for all of us. So this judgment is coming. So we see the standard, the source of this judgment is the very heavenly temple. The very presence of God, the very word of God. And he commissions this holy host to bring forth this judgment. And there is going to be an intensity in this judgment like this world has not even seen up until this point through the record that we've read. When you look in the future in Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22, one of the passages says that God is going to renovate the earth as we look in the future, as we see that a few weeks later. And one of the aspects of the renovation of the earth is that it says there will be no more sea. And that bums people out. Especially if you like the beach, you like to go boating, you like to go fishing. But when God releases these last judgments, the sea is not going to be fit to fish in, to swim in, or to ride upon. But again, notice that God will one day make it all right. There is a victory coming, and that victory involves satisfaction and restitution. Satisfaction and restoration. And satisfaction and resolution. Are you dealing with difficulty right now as a Christian, even as an, as an unbeliever? Are you dealing with struggles? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because all of us, including this preacher, would raise your hand. We all struggle. We all hurt. This week, our church staff has been under the weather. COVID, colds, struggles. It seems like every time you turn around, somebody's taking advantage of you somewhere. When's God going to make all this right? Or even the more simple thing, somebody's got to do something. Well, God will. Our desire and our need is to hang on and trust him. That he will do the right thing. So Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, he said, remember, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No, we haven't experienced that, but potentially we have that. Practically, we own the victory because God has given it to us through faith. If you don't know Christ as Savior, I urge you to place your faith and trust in Him this morning. No, there's nothing you can do to earn heaven. Religious, religious works aren't going to get you to heaven. Coming, being here this morning doesn't have anything to do with going to heaven. Heaven has been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ who became the judge and the judged because God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life you and I come to him and cast ourselves upon him by faith trusting him as our savior and the moment we do that we win the victory we have the victory no matter what happens or doesn't happen in this world we will one day win the day because Christ has won it for us and so I want to read to you the, one of the very last verses of that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has bought and paid for our victory. It's coming. You see it in Revelation that one day God will take everything that is unjust, unfair, unkind, and wrong, and he will bring satisfaction and resolution and make all things right. Because God is a God of love, and he's a God of justice. 
And so Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the, in the, in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have the victory positionally, but in a practical way, it's difficult to see. As a matter of fact, many of us may leave this world never seeing victory. There are some men and women of God who have actually died unjustly and unfairly because there is no justice in this world below the sun. And we shout, it's not fair. And yes, sometimes we even get angry with God, but that's okay. Because one day God will make it right. So what do we do? As believers, we stand. We do not let the injustices and the unfairness move us or knock us down. We stand immovable, steadfast, and we continue to abound doing God's work. Because we need to make sure we bring everybody into that victory that we can. And it's hard and it's hurtful. But one day, we'll sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.